If you worry about what other people think, soon enough, you will be on the sidelines of your life. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Millionaire Woman Show, where we get you guests from all around the world who can help you live rich from the inside out, taking principles of life, leadership, and business so you can take steps in creating strategies and moving forward. Today, I have a special guest, and her name is Kim Bohr. She's an author, in-demand speaker, coveted executive advisor. She is also the CEO of Innovare Group. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Excellent. The firm is known for diagnosing and repairing organizational and leadership disconnects, working with both companies and leaders to help them assess, align, and accelerate the strategic priorities that impact talent, execution, and business growth. Kim works with VC-funded startups, mid-market companies, progressive corporate teams, often guided guiding the sales, marketing, and operational functions of these organizations, helping them face the fact that solid strategy won't survive poor execution. Outside of the Innovare Group, Kim is an adjunct faculty for the Seattle University where she teaches MBA and undergrad classes on business strategy, operations, and leadership. She leverages her extensive professional experience into humanitarian work and volunteering, and she's served on the National Board of Directors for the Susan G. Komen and commits her time to several other worthy causes. Please welcome Kim Bohr to the Millionaire Woman Show. Thank you so much, Deborah, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm grateful to have you here. And, and then one of the reasons is because I love talking about execution. I get really excited because we can have all the knowledge in the world. We can create all the plans in the world. But unless we execute and put that plan into action, nothing really happens. So I have a number of questions I want to dive in with. Um, and, you know, your description of your bio has so much rich content. But I want to start with that assess, align, accelerate those strategic priorities mm -hmm. when, you know, this is when you know, people are ending, depending on when their fiscal year starts. You know, they might be in their fourth quarter, March 31st might be the end of it. And, and at any time, you know, when people make plans or goals, they are shifting their priorities. But what do you do to help people just get that clarity of getting into the right place to create those strategic priorities that are most important? You know, it's really about looking at what did you, what were you doing in the past and how successful were those pieces and starting to look at perhaps some patterns there that weren't necessarily getting the results that were wanted, wanted to be achieved. And so really looking at what are those pieces and then let's get to the most important thing. I was, you know, in meeting yesterday and the strategic priorities that were shared were seven of them. And there's just no way you can have a really deep and rich focus with really great results 
if you have that many. So it's really about figuring out what are the most important because part of the problem is your people then get confused on where they're supposed to share their time when there's just too many of them. And so really looking at what were you doing and then what, you know, let's start to narrow it down is always the, the first place to begin. So I often bring this up in the interviews because I love to hear what people's answers are. And you probably have heard it when with working with organizations. You know, Kim, we've done that before mm-hmm. and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. What would you tell those? What, how do you face those little challenges that come up when someone has that resistance to that change? You know, it's one of the things I like to educate people on is that anytime you're rolling out something new, any type of strategic initiative, big plans, any of that stuff, it really is a change initiative. And what happens is that people often spend so much time on that front end of strategy planning, months and months of it. Sometimes it's in a silo without, you know, having all the the necessary players involved. And then they say, okay, good, here's our plan. Everybody, you go do your thing and execute. And what ends up happening is that there's a complete breakdown in why we're doing this. And in a lot of it's because it hasn't been thought about change. So what I say is execution fails in two primary areas. It fails because of process and because of people. And so when I start to talk in that manner and say, look, your strategy is probably pretty good. Um, but let's just look at where the execution breaks down. And then we start to look at the process. Was there something that really didn't land well from a communication standpoint? You would be surprised that that's one of the biggest pieces that organizations lack is an actual communication plan as to how this is rolling out so that people understand why it's happening in the first place. So when I start to get into those, that level of detail with people and start to ask questions and get really curious, then we start to have a lot of ahas and and, um, recognition that, yeah, well, I guess we're not doing quite that. And then that starts to really open up the conversation. I think a common question that comes up is how much communication is too much? Yes. It's a really good question. And what I like to start with is I I offer up a three-step plan or process in a sense that it really is simple and it helps leaders of any level to actually be able to communicate more effectively. And that's the starting place for it. So what I say is when we're talking about any type of communication in a sense, we're looking at it from a change lens in a, in a, in a way, even for people who aren't into that space. And what we say is the, the best way to start with communicating is saying where we've been, because if you think about it, you have people that you're communicating with in your organization of all different tenures. Some have been, you know, on this journey for a long time. Others have maybe just been hired a couple of weeks ago. So you start with the first step is where have you been, uh, or where we've been and, and why we've, how we've evolved, why we moved, then it's about um, where we are today. And when you think about where we are today, it's about current situation and what's our catalyst for making this next move, rolling out these initiatives, why we want to do this, this you know, execute in this way. And the really key to that is about looking at um, where, what, what the catalyst could either be something really great, it could be a market opportunity, or it could be something that we're trying to, we see coming down the, the way that's not going to serve us well. And then the third piece in that communication is really around um, having people understand where we're going and why their role matters. And that's the really most important piece is because to your point, you can get wrapped up in process and communication. And really people are just trying to understand why do I don't want to be a cog in the wheel? How do, what do I do actually aligns and fits? And then how am I actually able to um, understand the connection and move? And so if you think about communication that way, it really is a simplified way and it can get people aligned and on the same page pretty quickly. So one of the things that I'm thinking about is that buy-in. 
-hmm. Whenever there's change, you know, you're facing resistance. That communication tool is really important. But when we're wanting to get that buy-in, and I, and I love how you say, you know, people want to know how they're part of that cog in the wheel, right? We, we want to know my, what's the why behind it? What's my role? Right. And how am I making a difference? Often is what it is like, because I think there's times when people think that they have this invisibility, this uh, lack of voice. Mm -hmm. into really creating change and being part of change. What do you recommend when leadership is working with their individuals to get that buy-in? So I, I look at it from two different lenses. So from a leadership lens, it's, it is the obligation of the leader and of the organization to always help make that connection. And I believe what tends to happen is as leaders, especially you know, senior leaders inside organizations who are creating the strategy and these, these really key initiatives, we're, they're in dialogue around these conversations so long, so much that it almost creates an immunity to uh, to what it is. And so when things get rolled out, it's less impactful to them because they've been in meeting after meeting for months and months. The problem is, is that those people then who are doing the execution at all the various levels haven't been. And so for a leader's perspective, it may feel like it's very repetitive. It's incredibly important to help make that connection and really specifically say, look, this work that you're doing really helps us in these ways and literally starting to lay that out and recognizing people for the positive impact they're making and in a very detailed way more than just you know good job and so that's really the the place from the leader's perspective and i think that as well you know the employee has um opportunity as well to really claim ownership in their role and asking questions and being curious and really driving that that piece for themselves as well yes and you know when we talk about the leadership I know that you help identify some of those most common disconnects that leaders have. Can you share what some of those are? So, you know, one of them that I find often is that there's an expectation that people should just know the job and just do it. Like, why do I always have to tell you what, you know, make that connection, what it is, you know, and the reality as leaders is that we are supposed to lead and lead and inspire and help people uh, remove the obstacles that people are facing in, in getting things done and um, being that champion that says, you know, you know, let's, you know, let's give you the resources and the tools you need. And so I find that to be um, the, that those things are really what um, that leaders sometimes struggle with in helping to, to make that connection as well. And that connection is so important because when they believe in their leadership and, you know, people will argue the point that leaders are born or, or they're learned behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I'd love your take on that. How do we empower the people in front of us to realize that they are leaders as well? I know that they often look yes. at the leader with a title. Right. Great question. So I believe, um, we, I believe that it's both. We're born in, some people are born into having these tendencies of leadership and, and the qualities and traits that come with it. They can be developed also. I think the challenge is sometimes we, we tend to look at high performers and assume that because they're technically savvy, if you will, in whatever their function is, that they're going to be then the next step should be leading others. And that's where there's tremendous disconnect. And, you know, there's tools I use, I'm sure there's tools you use in your work as well, that helps really expose that to help people realize whether that's really the right thing. 
to your second part of your question, I do strongly believe that whether you choose or want to be a people leader, you aspire to that or not, that you absolutely want to hold the presence and the quality of leaders and uh, of what a leader would be, which is critical thinking, uh, questioning and curiosity, pushing through the status quo, encouraging others and mentoring, and just showing up in that place, I think is incredibly important. Even if you don't want to lead people, you can be, you're an incredible resource uh, for others. And so I'm always encouraging the aspect of developing those skills and in individuals, even when they just love being an individual contributor. Yeah. And that gets me thinking about how do leaders or in what ways do leaders enable mm. their people to be able to do those things? So, yeah, because right? sometimes when I, when I think of, I guess we can look at enabling in two different ways. Um, I'm looking at it from enabling them to be empowered but how do they also enable them to prevent them from developing those skills that they need to? Oh, great question. So I think when we talk about being empowered briefly, um, one of the biggest things is how do you find, you finding a way of comfort inside your culture to let employees fail safely. Really looking at that opportunity to say, okay, let's put the, you know, let's put the guidelines up you know, so if, if these red flags come up, that's when you come to me, but otherwise I need, you know, you, you've got the permission to walk through. So I think that's one of those pieces. I think when the flip side of that and what tends to happen is, you know, it takes planning and intention and patience to actually do those pieces. And what tends to happen is we are in such a busy world. Now I was going to say culture, but it's just world, you know, and the more with less is the common way of doing business today. And so I often hear people say, well, it's just easier if I get it done or if I just do it. And what we're then doing is exactly, as you said, we're limiting people the ability to even grow and develop into having that self-generated insight, critical thinking, ability to actually impact our business for the skills we hired them for, because we're just limiting them um, because we just don't wanna take the time to be intentional and in having to give them the space they need to learn and develop. And I have your book. I'm so excited. Well, the journal yes. that you use with organizations to help build in accountability and ownership, um, but really to help those employees and organizations to reflect and gain some of those insights and awareness. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more and I'll just open it up to one of the pages as an example. So that came out of work I was doing with individuals and organizations where we were finding major disconnect in people feeling confident about growing in their careers. And so what I developed is, is it serves both from an employee standpoint as well as an employer lens. And the idea is uh, for employers to help empower their employees to have more uh, accountability and self-generate insight around their role ownership and the impact they're making around executing on their, their goals, their strategic initiatives, things like that. And what I was finding in the research I was doing leading up to it was that, um, you know, more so women than men, but it's, it's uh, relevant to both, were women were holding off and applying, as you, I'm sure you've heard that same research, where um, oftentimes 
women only apply to something even internally if they're only 100% qualified. It's, a, it's that mindset of checking all the boxes. And men, it's something like 60% or whatever. And so the, the mindset is that we're in such a busy culture, we're moving so fast, we are forgetting the impact we're making. And so if we're forgetting the impact making when we're not having the confidence to think I'm going to put my name in this hat or I'm, or I'm more capable. And so the journal was an opportunity to have uh, individuals slow down and have organizations bring a tool in. So instead of just having more stuff in a learning library, it's really an opportunity for people to slow down and create a culture of every week. What are the successes failures, which I intentionally use that word because it's a catalyst for growth. Mm -hmm. And then the lessons learned from both. And as you goal set, as part of the, the work, then you start to track yourself very intentionally every week. And then you can actually start to see movement, which then leads into all these other things we've been talking about. Yeah. And I think having that built in self-reflection to really look for the lessons learned really makes a big difference because, and, uh, and it is empowering because then they can look back and see the growth that they have. And uh, going back to the previous question about, enabling them in the negative aspect is when I see a leader just give them the answer mm -hmm. without saying have you looked at your resources first right, right? Ha have you looked into asking certain questions I think especially in middle on a, and frontline who maybe aspire to grow into mm -hmm. middle management senior leadership that they are scared to ask those questions and we all started at some place and we had to start asking questions. Do you have a story you could share with us about someone that you've maybe worked with or an organization where you've seen someone really shift by either using the journal or just a converse coaching type conversation you've had with them? Yeah, I was working with an organization last year and um, it was executive, high level executive team. And part of what they didn't realize was that they had each other as a resource and that the, the um, lack of understanding that the impact they were making was actually to get this company and really the product into market. And so we utilize those tools inside the journal of looking at tracking week to week and helping them isolate what were the wins and then what were the wins that they were sharing together. Mm -hmm. And they ended up really finding the synergy and the rhythm they needed and to, in order to really be a strong leadership team in, you know, as they were moving forward. And so it was, it's really about helping um, individuals and, and helping organizations see that this becomes a tool that allows for, um, for some pause in a way that's really needed, but it's also a pause that helps then drive the results inside both professionally and personally. Yeah. And it's an opportunity to open that discussion because mm -hmm. what I find, um, even with my individual coaching clients is we are not celebrating those wins enough yes. and, and we can learn as much from the wins as we can learn from the failures or the learning experiences. And those wins, when we hear an individual's win, and maybe we haven't had that win, we can start learning what did they do? What's working? Right. Well, and sometimes we downplay our, not sometimes, often we downplay our wins. You know, it's like, oh yeah, whatever. Well, that little win you had actually was huge. You know, you being able to influence somebody to 
make a change of decision or to open up a possibility, that's really a big deal. And it's a really important skill set. And so often we just um, brush those off. So when you can have a group celebrating, then you can have people saying, well, no, actually, hold on a second. That was significant. Let me tell you why, because it actually allowed me to do something more effectively in my side of the job. Um, and I think it's just, I think we're too, because of this busyness, there's too much of the, oh yeah, you did a good job. Nobody is actually pausing to say, what exactly did you do so that you know what to go do more of? And I think that's part of what this, um, this busyness is, the, this downside of this business and why this journal and, you know, is a tool to try to help slow things down and really to learn what does it mean to actually celebrate and give positive feedback and not just, you know, good job, which we know is very empty and worthless in so many ways. Well, a team that I, I work with, it's very interesting that we share personal and professional wins, but even hearing some of the personal ones, how they decluttered things or they've managed their money in a different way. Yeah. All of them start learning from each other and then they're all doing, doing it. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. It's super fascinating. I mean, they take down that one thing. It's like, okay, perfect. That's what we needed. That one thing is something that inspired you and you're going to implement. That's a win. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's just those little things make a huge difference. And they're, and when they, and they're, when they're working in the organization, they don't have this extra weight of all the things that they're maybe thinking about at home or yeah. other things. And I just find it fascinating how people will say, you know, I'm not into personal development. I'm only into professional development, but little do they know that there is no separation. Right. right? Exactly. And we show up, the same person shows up. We may, you know, not are some of the situations may be different, but the whole person is coming into the office. And, and so what we develop, we take back with us just the same. Yeah. Well, let's get back to some more execution. And um, I'd love to know, like, we talk about the solid strategy won't survive if you have poor execution. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more. So the research and the work I've done inside our organizations is really around looking at what are some of those key steps and indicators. And so part of the execution breakdown, as I mentioned, is the people and process. So we talked a little bit about you know, having a solid communication plan, helping, looking at things as a change initiative, helping people try to see, um, you've got to bring them along in the process, but also it's around, you know, there's this, this lack of skill development at times. We roll things out and expect people to just be able to go do it. And so that's one of those big disconnects as well. And if we start to isolate where, how we typically, organizations typically about execution and what hasn't worked, we can quickly hone in and say, okay, what, let's look at it from, is it really on the process so people side a little bit of both and with some really simple application it starts to enable people to have more alignment and measurement that they can go back and you know and really celebrate wins on and so there's um, there's generally there's about seven of them we look at um, you know part of it's inside that idea of, of you know talent um, skill set uh, actual planning you know as our strategy really um, as, you know, focused that sort of thing. And so trying to isolate which of those and then saying, okay, let's build the skill around it or let's put the process in place and then let's really show you all what to do so you can move forward on your own. And part of it, I think too, when I think about execution is people don't know what they're going to be measuring. Like when we talk about those smart goals, are yes. they being specific enough? Are they having a way to measure it? Because we know if we don't measure something, we can't manage it. 
Well, and measurement's a tricky thing. You know, sometimes I was reading actually an, an HBR article not too long ago, and it was talking about how we get fooled by measuring the wrong things around strategy. And we think that measuring sometimes these tactical sales goals are leading to the strategy. And really it starts to perhaps enforce really poor behavior. And, you know, they gave a part of the example in this article was um, around the Wells Fargo role uh, woes that had happened with, you know, opening up the accounts and stuff. And it was a really interesting way of looking at, uh, you know, is are, do, it's not just about measurement, but are we measuring the right things? Are we measuring the things that are actually directly tied to what we believe the strategy is that's going to move the business forward? Or are we just measuring things because we think those are just metrics and yet they might really promote behaviors we don't want to see? Mm. So that's part of when we're looking at that with organizations is, well, let's actually look at what are the, what are the things you're measuring and are they actually what you want the results to be? And what would be some of those behaviors that you're talking about that we'd see a shift in behavior? So when we're working on it from, you know, that sales and marketing side, um, part of what happens is, you know, are the measurements tied across enough of the organization where the pieces are in place? So if we're just putting measurement in place that's driving one functional area, they might then be pushing forward on their particular metrics, but then not realizing that they're isolating a different part of the organization that really should be in partnership. And so you can only, if you, if you can, might be able to push forward on selling something, but if the product side isn't ready to release, you don't want to be selling features in a sense before, you know, your product's ready. So it's about looking at more holistically around what is it the whole entire organization is trying to accomplish and what should the metrics be tied to so that it's not um, promoting bad behavior in one area over, you know, over at the detriment, I guess I would say to, you know, to the greater good of the entire organization. Yeah. And I think one of the issues that comes up is people working in silos and maybe duplication of work. Completely. Well. Yeah. That's what, you know, so much of the execution side is um, if it's not thought out where people aren't then doing, uh, taking time to do an operational planning session. So the strategy gets set and then we move it into really the operating operational planning session. If they're not really doing that, then you're just getting your piece of paper that has your numbers on it and you're just told to go. And that's where the silos are created. Even if they're unintentionally, if there's, if it's not thought about saying, okay, now it's time for these different functional areas to get together and figure out how they're going to do it together. That's where you see that incredible breakdown. And just really, that's where the culture starts to become toxic and, um, and it's not competitive in a healthy way. It becomes really counterproductive. Yeah. And as an individual creating that accountability for yourself as being part of that strategic plan, because you have your own work that you do mm -hmm. to build in that accountability by, you know, using the example of the journal, you know, creating milestones, um, focusing on your own productivity to mm -hmm. really gear things up. I would like to know um, what your view is on the greatest contributor to sustainable success. Uh, I think that is, it really is around um, intention and being intentional in reflection and assessment. And then what do you change to move forward? Because we can get into the typical patterns and we end up repeating things that are really comfortable. And so if we're not actually willing to look back and say, 
wow, I really didn't do that well, or, you know, those really aren't the results I really want to have, then we end up um, just repeating it over and over again and finding excuse after excuse of why, even for ourselves, why it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go off a little bit of a different direction. What is one book that has really impacted your career or your life? So Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. One of my from, favorites. Yes. Oh my goodness. So that was really a pivotal point for me um, in my career as a leader where I actually wasn't leading well and I knew things were broken and I had asked for feedback and I couldn't get feedback. That was, I mean, there was nothing substantive. And I said, look, I'm not getting the results I need. And so I read that book. And that book then took me down that journey um, and even working with his firm way back when, but it took me down that journey. That was an incredible book that I think today is still very, very relevant for anybody to read. So what was the one thing that you identified for yourself, if you don't mind sharing yeah. the greatest growth came from, because I know he talks about several principles that these are some of the things that you could be doing that is not going to move you ahead. Because we, when he talks about what got you here, for those of you who are listening and viewing, it's really about all the things you've done before got you to where you are now, but it doesn't mean that it's going to get you to the next level. So please share. Yes, there was two things. So one was um, needing to connect the head and the heart. You know, I operated from probably more of a space of from a head and a, and a traditional old fashioned type of leadership model and realizing that the head and the, I had to connect the head and the heart. And what I recognized when I read his book was that the same skills that I needed to get myself recognized and, and available to, to hold that role were not the same skills I needed. And so a bit of what we were talking about before that sometimes leaders aren't meant to be in leadership roles when they can be really technically savvy unless they understand and learn what it what you need to do to actually lead and so understanding that i had to develop the skills that i didn't have to actually be a leader and what it meant to inspire people and what it meant to help them um, see the disconnects in ways that I just wasn't, you know, wasn't doing. And I, and quite frankly, I was focused on the wrong measurements, the, you know, the, the calls, the metrics, the things like that, that weren't the right thing. You can just fake that stuff and still not get the results you want. So that was, those were aspects of, of um, when I read that, that I realized there was some, a lot of change that needed to happen. Yeah. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. Absolutely. Um, and that leads me to, you know, that compassion and empathy in, in organizations and in leadership styles. You know, we hear about having the soft skills because I too have come from a place of, you know, being a lot of in my head and dropping into my heart. When I first heard that, what do you like, what do you mean? I know what I need to get done. <laughs> getting things done. Right. So right. Able to really connect with people on a different level. Mm -hmm. You don't have to focus on so much getting done because they have that buy-in. They have that connection with you. They want to ensure that those things get done for you. So it's a really different shift if you think about it. So soft skills mm -hmm. are often the hardest skills for people to learn and that connection. So thank you very much for sharing that. Definitely. So what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? You know, what it means to me is to really recognize that we 
are perfectly imperfect in the sense that we will always be um, looking to grow and to evolve. And the more we can have compassion and forgiveness for ourselves as we're doing that every day, that really resonates with me in, in that way. And I think that um, I'm always grateful that I have the ability to just uh, reflect, make changes, try again the next day. I love that. Cause, and that's the thing that people have to remember. If, if you had a bad day, that was yesterday. Yeah. And if we're starting fresh today, what will I do differently? That's why, you know, with this career journal, if you're wanting to grow in your career, I really suggest that you get a hold of Kim's journal here, success, failures, lessons, and learning, right? This, how you learn about them and where's maybe the missing link, maybe those, and looking at those wins, seeing what is working, what is working for you. So you just want to rinse and repeat, but also to keep in mind as Marshall Goldsmith's book says, what got you here will not get you there. Definitely. So Kim, how can people stay in touch with you? This has been a fabulous interview. Thank you for dropping so many nuggets for our viewers and our listeners. Thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be able to offer your listeners some different resources that they can gain access to. So if they go to the innovargroup.com, so it's T-H-E-I-N-N-O-V as in Victor, A-R-E.com forward slash T-M-W-S. There's a webpage specifically set up for your listeners that will have three offers that they can take advantage of, all complimentary offers, all learning pieces um, inspired by the conversation we had today. And then downloaded one. Yes. Yes. Check it out. The seven reasons most strategic plans fail. Yes. Uh, and there's some tips in there about, you know, it's not just about the reasons, but it's also saying, hey, if, if you feel like this is one of those, take a look, here's some things to look at and consider. And then the um, other pieces, you know, we'll make sure that the book link is in the show notes as well, so that people that want to have in, interest in exploring that can absolutely get it on Amazon and, you know, and really take themselves on that 12-week journey as a starting point. And what is the greatest shift and I, I'd love to ask you this because, you know, it's 12 weeks that you've seen from someone from beginning of use to end. Can you just share a quick story before we go? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things I've seen is people realizing um, that there's, that they have it in them to do what they're thinking of doing. And there's one person in particular I've been working with recently who is in career transition, high level executive, really inspired um, with the work and is in some ways that overqualified place and then this, you know, not quite into this next level. And so she's been working with the journal most recently and has really come out to, to be able to celebrate the impact she's made. And so it's made her much more confident as she's started to move into a new role, started to realize that she actually is bringing a lot more in and that she's able to let go of some of the pieces that, um, that just didn't serve her well. And so that's been really inspiring to see. It's amazing. I, I want to thank you again for, you know, sharing the intellect, but also sharing your heart with us today and how to be really connected as a leader, as you lead the people around you and how to grow as a leader and also be able to execute on those plans no matter what and realize that you need to be measuring the right things. So thank you so, so much, Kim.
Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, it's been a really lovely conversation and I hope that your listeners will enjoy the resources and um, be able to enjoy what we've got to talk about. I'm sure they will. Thank you everyone for listening to the Millionaire Woman Show today with Kim Bohr. And don't forget to send us an email or connect with her on social media links as well. And let her know what really stood out for you in our interview today. You can also go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com. That's D-E-B-R-A-K-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And you can get your three-part mini course video that is a video format on making habits stick. So you can build those routines, create that focus and consistency in your life to really make those goals a reality. And also go over to the Millionaire Woman Show on iTunes, subscribe, uh, give us a rating, high fives, and uh, we would love to hear from you. The more and share this episode with other leaders that you know, because it helps them grow, it helps the show grow, and we have greater reach. Thank you again. And as Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And from Kim and myself, have a great day.